You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Questions from God. This series will seek to answer the questions, what does God think about us given what we've done and what has been done to us? How does God respond to our sin and suffering? What is his posture towards us? And what does that mean for our posture towards each other? The answers we'll discover will reveal the character and heart of God to a people burdened by guilt and fatigue. As we prepare to hear God's word this morning, let's pray for the Spirit to open our hearts and minds. Pray these words aloud with me. Triune God, give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Christ so that the eyes of our hearts might be enlightened. Help us to know the hope to which you have called us and the riches of the glorious inheritance in the saints and the immeasurable greatness of your power at work in us through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now hear the word of the Lord from Genesis 3:11. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. Uh, It's good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Jonah, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and build them up as his church, send them into the world to follow him. And we take a few weeks every August uh, to consider what does that mean for us as a church and maybe where are we uh, going astray on the mission, where have we been doing well on the mission, and I, I want us to do a little exercise together here to begin with. might be a little weird, but uh, all of our eyes will be closed, so you won't be too weird because no one else can see you. Like little kids, if they can't see you, it's not weird. Uh, you can even do it at home, unless you have the little kids, in which case this probably won't work because if you try to do anything at home with a child, they climb on you and jump on you, so we'll do the best we can. Um, So if you're willing, I want us to go on a little bit of a journey through our imaginations together. So close your eyes if you're comfortable with it. And I I want you to try to go back into your imagination. It could be last night. Um, Imagine yourself in a spot where you're at the end of your day. Maybe you're lying in bed. Think about all the things that you did yesterday or whatever day you're visiting now. Think about all the things that you left undone or the things that you said or left unsaid. I want you to try to remember how you felt when your head hit the pillow that night. In the few moments of silence before sleep is upon you, how did you feel? Did you turn the TV on? Did you turn on a podcast? Maybe you put some music on to help you fall asleep. Did you turn away from your spouse? Did you toss and turn lamenting an empty bed? I just want you to stay in that moment for a moment. Take inventory. Now, while you're there, I I want you to imagine that Jesus walks into your room. You're not afraid to see him. It it feels surprisingly normal to see him there. I want you to imagine looking at his face in that moment. Really look at him in your mind. 
As you see him, try to notice what his body language looks like. What do his facial expressions look like? What is his, his posture towards you? As you see him, what do you imagine he's thinking about you after that day you're imagining? How do you feel yourself wanting to react to his presence? Maybe what do you feel compelled to say to him? Just linger there a moment longer. All right, you can open your eyes. I've done something like this with dozens of people from our church, dozens of pastors from around the country. Now, I don't know what you saw on Jesus' face while you were doing that. I don't know what you assumed he was thinking. But I've, I mean, I've probably done this close to 100 times with other people, and the response has been almost universal. Typically, they say something like, I can tell he loves me and that he's disappointed in me. Or his face seems to say, I thought you'd be doing better by now. When I ask about people's response or how they want to react, they'll often say things like, I just feel like I need to apologize to him, or I feel afraid of him, or I feel embarrassed. Last week, we looked at Adam and Eve hiding in the garden because they were afraid. They were afraid because they believed a lie from the serpent and they realized suddenly that they were naked. Because of a lie that they had been told, they believed there was something wrong with them. Because of a lie they had been told, they believed that God was disappointed in them. Maybe he loved them, but he would be shaking his head, telling them they should have done better. But in response to this, we saw last week that God asked them a question. He said, where are you? He reveals himself in that question to be patient and compassionate and interested in us. They tell God they were afraid because they were naked. So God responds with a second question. In verse 11, he says, who told you that you were naked? First question, where are you? The second question is, who told you? Who, who told you? There's something profound that this reveals to us about what it means to be a human. God is telling us something about what it means to be a human by the fact that he's asking this question. He's showing us that we do not become who we are in a vacuum. We are not contextless creatures that just appear out of nowhere. All of us live inside of a story. Uh, it's a story that's made up of families, of friends, of co-workers, of coaches, of teachers. Who told you implies that someone told them something about who they are, and they believed it. Another way to think about this question of who told you is how did you learn? How did you learn this about you? And he's showing us that we all learn things and are told things that shape how we view ourselves 
And we learn them from the people around us and what we've lived. Consider those conclusions that you made about God's posture towards you just a couple of minutes ago. How did you learn that God was that way? Something I've asked people dozens and dozens of times is who told you God was disappointed in you? There's all kinds of flavors to what we interpreted when we saw Jesus walk into our rooms. Who told you that God wanted to keep you at arm's length? Who told you that God felt that way about you? What's really curious about the who told you question here in Genesis 3 um, is also if you know the story, or maybe after last week you went home and you, you read Genesis 3 yourself, no one told them that they were naked. Do you know that? No, the serpent never comes up to Adam and Eve and is like, guys, look, you're naked. Nobody told them that, and yet they learned it nonetheless. So many of us in this room and watching at home had someone in our life that told us God was disappointed in us or told you that you were a disappointment or any number of things. But many of us did not have people who told us these things explicitly or directly. I hope some of you spent some time last week reflecting on the question of where are you? If you did, you'll probably realize, or maybe you'll soon realize, that no one told you to hide the way that you did. Some of you, you were told how to respond, but many of us were never told how to hide the way that we found ourselves hiding in life. Look, I just want to give you an example uh, from me. When I reflect on where where am I? Or when I try to answer the question, where am I? The answer is usually some version of way down here, way down deep inside of me, because I learned that who I am is really not okay. That who I am is too much for the world. And that if I let it out, nothing good will happen. And how do you hide that? You go way down deep. You do what other people want you to do. You, you become what you think people want you to become. You only show the parts of you that are easy to digest. You don't ask for help. You don't put burdens on anyone. You just take care of other people. You know who told me I had to be that way? You know who told me that who I am is not enough, that who I am is ugly, and that who I am should be hidden? You know who told me that? No one. No one ever said those words to me, ever. But I learned it nonetheless. I learned it by watching, by observing, by making irrational conclusions and assumptions. No one told Adam and Eve they were naked, but they learned it. No one told Adam and Eve directly that God was lying to them, but they heard God is lying to me. You have to see how these questions connect. If you if you are willing to answer the question, where are you? You will be forced to answer the question, who told you? And somewhere in that answer, you will find a lie. You will find a lie about yourself. You'll find a lie about God. So what does who told you reveal to us about who God is? Who told you reveals that we are shaped by relationships, that we are part of a story. But what does who told you reveal to us about who God is? 
think one of the clearest things the question reveals to us is that God is curious towards us. He walks to us with patience and compassion, and then he's curious, not just about what's going on, but about the reasons behind it, the motivations, or what the scriptures would call the heart. From the first moments after the fall, God's mission has been to reach people in hiding with the good news that he is a good father. And from there, he seeks to restore his children by building them up into a new family. And when we think of building, particularly in our kind of modern Western context, we think of building campaigns or facility needs, or we think of tasks to accomplish and goals to achieve. It can, it can certainly be that. And I'm not trying to say that those things are bad or wrong, but there's a more fundamental work that needs to happen first. If you have a cracked foundation in your home, that has to be addressed before you put new windows on it or new furniture in it. If you have a heart that has been distorted by lies told to you, again, either implicitly or explicitly, those must be healed. Those distortions, those wounds brought about to you by lies must be healed. The, the building mission of God is a renovation of heart. It's a transformation of who we are in the deepest places. The best way to respond to lies is with the truth. So I just want to give you two quick examples. The truth about God's mission being to renovate your heart. This is old, old, old Christianity that we're talking right now. So in Ezekiel 36, here's the promise of what would happen when Jesus comes. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away, and you will no longer worship idols. I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Do you see there that the building, the doing, the, the action steps happen after the work of God, after the renovation of heart. I will give you a new heart. I will put my spirit in you. And then my spirit will make you follow my decrees. Or some translations will say will cause you to obey me. Where the work starts is renovation of heart, a, a new heart. The deepest desires, the longings, the commitments, the loyalties must be changed. Again, Jeremiah 33, the time will come when I will heal Jerusalem's wounds, give it prosperity and true peace. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel and rebuild their towns. I will cleanse them of their sins against me and forgive all their sins of rebellion. God's promised forgiveness in order to heal us. Free us from the lies we've been told. Free us from the lies that have wounded and distorted us, he will renovate our hearts and our new tender hearts will be eager to obey God. God's mission is to build us up as his new people, which means he must heal our hearts. This posture does not change in the ministry of Jesus. It becomes even more clear and emphatic in the ministry of Jesus. 
At one point after a long, you can see this in Matthew 23, after a long criticism of Israel's leaders, it is sharp, poignant criticism. Look at what Jesus says to the people of God. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. I think most of us would agree that murdering the prophets of God is a big deal. Amen? That is an egregious sin. It is worthy of feeling guilty about. He looks at them and says, you people who kill God's messengers and stone their prophets. Again, this is after an entire chapter of Jesus. It's the seven woes of Jesus. After an entire chapter, he concludes by saying, you who kill God's prophets and stone God's messengers. But how does Jesus respond to all of that? What is his conclusion? How often? I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. Do you see the same heart in Jesus that we saw in God in the garden? Despite wicked, egregious, horrific sins, he still says, I wish I could gather you together and heal you. I wish I could carry you under my wings and protect you. Jesus longs to heal us, to renovate our hearts, to reach us with good news and build us into this new family called the church. This is what he has accomplished through his life, death, and resurrection. One of my favorite passages in the Bible, you hear me quote it often, puts it this way. We know how dearly God loves us because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. How do we know that God loves us? The, the presence of that spirit that renovates our hearts lives inside of us. We know how dearly God loves us. It can be a certainty for you, a healing truth to stand on. And if that is too ambiguous for you, the spirit living inside of you, if you need more concrete evidence, just a few verses later, Paul says this, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Because of the lies you've been told, you may not believe that God loves you, but you have evidence that he does. Christ died for you. You may not believe that he is curious and compassionate and kind towards you, but you have promises that he is, that he does. So here's what I, I want you to do. Here's some of what it would look like to believe you are saved by grace, and despite all you've done, that God's posture towards you is still one of invitation. I want you to carve some time out this week and try to answer the question, who told you? Maybe someone comes to mind right now and you don't know why, but all the times that I've said, who told you this morning, maybe, maybe something has come into your mind. It could be a memory. It could be a person. It could be an experience. Hold on to that and and instead of taking a posture of evaluation or criticism towards that, try to take a posture of curiosity. Maybe God is showing you something. Spend some time this week and try to answer, how did you learn to hide the way that you did? How did you learn to see God the way that you do? Look for the lies you've learned rather than the mistakes you've made. 
There's time and space for that. And I'm just asking you to try something different this time. Look for the lies that you've been told and less for the mistakes that you've made. Maybe write your answer in a journal. Maybe talk it through with a friend. However you're able, seek to answer the question, who told you? And then whatever you find, you get to bring that to the cross of Jesus. And, and here's what I mean. Um, the cross can be for us a filter through which we interpret everything about what you've lived and what you've learned, everything about who you are, almost like putting on 3D glasses or glasses with a filter on. If, if the cross becomes filters for you, everything you see, learn, experience can be filtered through that. So you get to say to God, this is where I am. This is where I'm hiding. This is who told me. Show me what is true. Maybe you think God is disappointed, but if you filter that through the, the lens of the cross, you know that's not true. If you think God is disappointed in you, the cross tells you a better story. If you think God is keeping you at arm's length, the cross tells you a better story. If you think God is angry and cold with you, the cross tells you a better story. The cross of Christ cleanses our hearts before God and it corrects the lies that we've been told. This rhythm of bringing lies you've believed to the foot of the cross is normal Christianity. It's never something we move beyond. The author of Hebrews picks up that imagery from Ezekiel, showing us the power that enables us to bring this kind of honesty to God. He says, guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Last week, we learned that you are not who you think you are after your great success or your terrible failures. In, in essence, last week we learned you're not who you think you are. And this week I want you to hear that you are not who you've been told you are either. You are not who you've been told you are. You are one sprinkled with Christ's blood, which has made you clean. Receive that truth from God and receive this invitation to his experience, his nearness anew. Just what we do every week as we remember the Lord's Supper by calling our minds to the night Jesus was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread, he thanked God for it, and he broke it. And he looked to his disciples, his friends, and he said, this is my body given for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. In the same way, when the meal was over, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which seals your relationship with God. Drink this in remembrance of me. There are many things that we've been told about who we are. Some of them may feel small. Some of them may feel significant. Thank you for listening. Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.